stop. Stop. That, that is by far the weirdest and best introduction of my, I have been telling my wife for years how awesome I am. I, in fact, reminded her this morning, shirtless. Um, she was not impressed. Um, how are we? Saturated. Are we doing good? Hey, uh, God, man, it, it is absolutely uh, amazing. God, I can already feel myself getting choked up and wanting to cry. What is wrong with me? Um, someone pray for me. Um, it's an honor for me to be here. Um, you know, and, and it was such a special moment for me to sit up here and see uh, our band from Celebration Church in Orlando leading worship because the last time we were here together, uh, Joby and the staff prayed over us uh, at a service for the launch of the church. And it was just kind of this, this really cool moment to see really the faithfulness of God. Uh, and, and so it was special. But the other thing that's so cool for me is, A, Joby and I have been friends, like he said, for, for, for almost 10 years. Um, we've had some weird moments, I'm not going to lie. We're just going to leave it at that. Um, but Joby and I have been friends for a long time. And, um, and I was actually telling a guy uh, earlier this week, is a guy planting through ARC, and uh, he had come to 1122, and we were talking about you. And, um, and I said, those muscles are fake. And, um, <laughs> but I said, I said, Joby, to me, is one of the best communicators of the gospel that I know. And I'm not just saying that. Listen, yeah, you, yes. And I'm, not, and I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that as someone who, who's patting him on his back. Like, as a pastor... And a preacher, I listen to a ton of different preachers and pastors, and so for Joby, for me, is someone that challenges me because we speak uh, and preach differently. Um, but every time I listen to him, I come away not only a better follower of Jesus, but I also come away a better preacher and pastor. Um, and so I think sometimes what happens is we are so in things that we forget the amazingness of what we are a part of. Um, and you guys, I just want you to know this. Um, I hope you know what God is doing at the Church of 1122. I hope that you, listen, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to go crazy in a second, okay? I promise. Some of you may run a lap. I know. I'm charismatic. Glory. We don't know what's going to happen, okay? It, I hope that you understand what you're a part of. It's not normal for churches to plant and in three years be running six and 7,000 people. It's not normal to have the amount of baptisms. It's not normal to have the amount of small groups you have. It's not normal to have deer heads in your men's bathroom at a church. It's not, it's not normal. And sometimes I think what happens is, is we're so in stuff that we forget how amazing it is. And we sometimes can, can become um, disenchanted by what God is doing because we feel like somehow we're missing it or it hasn't been what we wanted it to or we get offended at times or whatever the case may be um, because we're all people and that stuff happens. But I want you to know as a pastor and a preacher and just a friend and someone who loves Jesus and is trying to follow Jesus the same way that you guys are, you are a part of something incredible. You are. A, I want you to know this, and I'll, I'll say this, you are a part of something else that the world is taking notice of that people are paying attention to. And so I, I'll tell you, for me, when I was planting uh, in Orlando, we, we celebrate one year this coming Sunday. Guys, I didn't go to jail in one year in Orlando. I made it. Um, 
That's just because I can run faster than the cops in Orlando. But um, I would sit with Joby. And I would just ask him questions. Okay, what don't I know? What do I need to do better as a pastor? What do I need to do better as a preacher? What do I, like, I, I, I want to learn from him because even though we've known each other for 10 years, he is someone that I look up to and someone that, that I want to model myself after. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, so you have an amazing lead pastor. You have an amazing senior pastor, and we love Gretchen. We love the entire family. So Church of 1122, before I get started, here's what I need us to do. I need us to stand to our feet, and I need you to give it up for your pastor, the man of God. Oh, you got more than that. Come on. Love you, dude. So here... Here, okay, let's keep him humble. That's, that's enough. All right, let's, easy. Let's not, you know, you know how he can get. Um, I'm just teasing. Um, here's something that's really cool for me, too, being here. Um, uh, uh, um, one of my fraternity brothers is here. Um, one of my best friends that I grew up with is here. Do you know how amazing it is for me to see my friends from my past at a revival? They're just as surprised as you are right now. I'm just going to tell you that. Some of you are like, you bought me liquor. Um, it's cool. But I, I want you to know, man, it is absolutely, I, I, I am. They, they came up to me, and then they were like, we were hugging up front. And then during worship, I was like, all right, play it cool. <laughs> like, I was just trying to keep it together. Um, but man, it is an honor. It is an honor and honor and honor for me to be here. I want to introduce you to my family real quick. We have a picture, I believe, of them. That's my bald head, the back of it. I don't know. It's pretty glossy. Um, the top left is our daughter, Riley. Riley is now seven years old. A lot of you know Riley. Riley is a special needs uh, little girl, she's in her wheelchair holding a ridiculously sized uh, Mickey that I did not buy her because her charms don't work on me anymore. Um, she's seven. Uh, we speak with sign language at our house. So I just need to say, uh, ma'am, uh, yes, you were doing sign language. You that were doing sign language for worship. Okay. I don't, I don't know if you can see her from where you are. But in the words of the great theologian, Kanye West, get down, girl, go ahead, get down. I mean, like, she, she was, it, here's what was awesome about it. So we speak with sign language at our house, but when the band was like soloing on electric guitar, I looked over at her, she's like, and then like the drums, she's like playing drums. I'm like, good night, like, um, so this picture, sorry, this picture, so that's our daughter Riley, she's seven, that is my wife, Becca, on the right, uh, we have been married 12 years, uh, that is our son Aiden, he is almost 13, if you can do math, I wasn't always serving Jesus, okay, <laughs> so I'll show you a cool pic, that bottom picture though, here's what's cool about that picture. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story real quick that has nothing to do with my sermon at all? I, uh, a couple, uh, last year I got to go preach at, uh, at Hillsong London, which was a really cool uh, experience. 
And so I said that. I said, this is my wife, Becca. We've been married 11 years, and this is my son, Aiden. And when I said 11 years, everybody started cheering in London. I go, this is my son, Aiden. He's 12. And then their clap slowly did this. <laughs> I was like, you're a bunch of jerks, you bunch of British weirdos. Um, I haven't been back to Hillsong, London. Um, so that's my son, Aiden. Aiden is, uh, he's almost 13, but here's what's so cool about that picture. Uh, that's him preaching his first sermon. Uh, that, is at, that, is at, that is at our church on a Sunday morning, and uh, he is preaching to our students, our youth pastors here with us, our, our children's pastor, our pastoral care pastors here. And so it was such a surreal moment as a pastor and a preacher when your son's like, hey, Dad, will you help me write my first sermon? I'm like, yes. Come and like, as I was helping him write it, there would just be these moments where I would get choked up and have to look away. Do you know what I mean? You know, like sometimes you do that weird double breath when you get like a, mo- <laughs> like I would do that with him, like writing, you know, he's like, dad, I was thinking that I could do this with this part. I was like, oh, sounds good. So, <laughs> like I had to look away. So, um, that's my family. I feel like I have one purpose here tonight. I feel like my purpose is to set you up for what God is going to do, not just tonight, but the entire time that you're here at Saturated. And it's so amazing to hear that you have been fasting for 21 days because I come from a church with Pastor Stovall Williams and Celebration Church um, that we believe in fasting. We believe that fasting changes things. And so what I know right now is that this building, it is primed for God to move. It is primed for God to do something in a way because you have been focused on Him for the past 21 days. That you have set yourself, your, your sights, your eyes upon Jesus, and that is what your focus is. And so what I know and what I believe is that when we focus on Jesus, we deny ourselves and say everything about these next 21 days is going to be denying myself so that I can grow closer to you. I believe that God just sits up in heaven and is like, watch what I'm going to do. Watch what I'm going to do in your life. And what I want to talk to you tonight about is a rally. Because I believe that there are times in our lives where we are going to have to rally to Jesus. There are going to be moments where things come your way and things come out of left field or life throws you a curveball and you are going to have to rally to Jesus. Where life didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. And here's what I'm so excited about now, knowing that you've been fasting. You're primed. You're ready. And I was praying for you this morning, and I believe that there are some of you in here that you came in here tonight because the pretty girl asked you, or the handsome guy asked you, or your mom and dad dragged you, or whatever the case may be. But what you don't know is that the sovereign God of the universe has been planning this since the day that he thought of you. Since the day that you were thought about, the day that he began to create you, that this has been the moment where he says, I'm going to draw you to salvation or you are going to rally to me. Because what I know just by the size of this crowd is that there are some of you in here and you have been going through hell on earth. You have been going through a hard time. You have been going through a trial. You have been going through a struggle and no one around you may know it. No one around you may know what's going on. It may just be one of those things between you and Jesus. Because here's the reality. At at church, at times, we're really good at faking it, aren't we? 
We're really good at coming in and saying like, hey, how are you? And you're like, blessed and highly favored. And you're like, uh, your car blew up in the parking lot and your wife slapped you. And you're like, mm-mm, glory to God. Like, well, that, that happens. And so what I know is that just by the sheer amount of people in this room, there are some of you that are struggling. There are some of you that what you need is you need a rally. You need a rally to Jesus. You see, a lot of us, what we try to do, right, is we try to rally to ourselves. We're good enough. We're strong enough. You're able enough. You, you can do this. I mean, that's, what, that's why there's a bajillion self-help books, right? You don't need anything else. You've got this. It's in you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, you've got this. But what I've learned in my life in 34 years through the things that we have walked through, through the things that we continue to walk through as a family. Just by being on this earth and seeing what other people walk through. There's some of you in here, what you need more than you need anything else is you need to rally to Jesus. You need to get to Jesus regardless of what it costs. Regardless of what it takes. And I looked up the definition of a rally. And a rally is two things. The first definition is this. Come together again in order to continue fighting after a defeat or a dispersion. Come together again in order to continue fighting after a defeat or a dispersion. And that's kind of what we're doing right now, right? We're coming together again. That's what we do on Sundays. That's what you guys do here on Thursday nights. That's what you do on Sunday nights. I think you guys have church every night of the week at this point at 1122. You have to because you're growing like a wildfire. That's all you've got. That's all you're able to do at this point. But we come together once a week so that we can go back out there. How many of you know sometimes on Sunday, sometimes it's saturated, sometimes on Sunday nights, what you have got to do is you have got to come back and you have got to refocus your eyes on Jesus so that you can go back out into the week and still have your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what we've got to do. The second thing is this, to recover or cause to recover in health, spirit, or poise. A rally is to recover or cause to recover in health, Spirits are poised. I can imagine that there's some of you in here that you need a recovery in your spirits tonight. That there's been stuff going on that you may not have told anybody about. There's some of you in here, you need a recovery in your health. You know, this past week, I don't even know if all our staff knows this, we thought my wife had breast cancer. We waited for four days for a biopsy to come back. Let me tell you what I was doing in that moment. I was making sure that if we got the result back, that I was going to look at my wife and say, we got this, baby. Jesus is with us. Jesus is in this. Some of you in here, you're sick. There's things going on. And what you need is you need to rally to Jesus. You need to recovery in your health. And every time I think of this definition of a rally, I always think of the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48. And let me just say this. Uh, I kind of come from a church where if the preacher says something good, you can shout at him. Uh, you can say, mm, that's good. Uh, get it, white boy. Uh, preach. Uh, if you get real Pentecostal, you can yell, mm, shame the flesh. But you have to start it, you have to start it with the mm, or it doesn't work. 
Um, and then sometimes you can yell, oh, Lord, shots fired. That's a good one, too. Um, so if, uh, if you yell at me, I preach better or faster. Either way, you win. So, um, so Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 48, it says this. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. So here's what we see. Jesus, at this time, has a massive following. Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has been doing miracles. So because this is happening, there are a ton of people who have begun to follow Jesus. Not necessarily because they want his teachings, but because they want his healings and they want his miracles. Some of these lakes that Jesus is crossing by boat, they were small enough where people could walk around them and follow him to where he was going. So I just want you to imagine like you're Jesus and you're passing over on a boat and there's a crowd of people just walking along the lake like waiting for you to land. And so at this moment, Jesus is going to the other side of the lake. The Bible says that when he lands, there is a great crowd of people that are there waiting for him. They are all over him. They are bumping into him. There are people that are waiting for him in that moment. At that moment, a man named Jairus comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus and begins to tell Jesus about his 12-year-old little girl that is sick. So Jesus, because he is a good God, is going to go with him. Because Jesus is walking with him in the crowd, there is a woman. And this woman, for 12 years, has been struggling with an issue, a medical issue of bleeding. Now here's what we have to understand. That this issue that this woman had, it wasn't just a physical issue. You see, so many times I think we read the Bible and we take the humanity out of it. We've read the stories so many times that they become second nature. How many times have you read a Bible? Let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hand in here or point at your husband. Um, how many times have you read the Bible and you get to a part that you have read a million times and you say, I've read, this, I've read this before, and you skip it a little bit, or you skim it? See, this woman for 12 years has been sick with this physical issue. But what we have to understand is that what this woman was dealing with was not just a physical issue. That what she was dealing with was a spiritual issue and also an identity issue at the same time. Now I want to read something to you. This is found in Leviticus uh, chapters or 15 verses 25 through 30. Because I want you to see something. I want you to see what's all going on in this moment with this woman. Now I need you to prepare your hearts for what I'm about to read. Um, the reason I need you to prepare your hearts, students, especially you guys, um, I'm going to say the word menstrual period about 75 times uh, reading this verse. If you don't like it, it's Jesus, okay? I don't know what to tell you. Verses 25 through 30. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. I don't like that word. Uh, any, bed, any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean, just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. 
When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days. Then she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons and present them to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle. The priest will offer one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Through this process, the priest will purify her before the Lord for the ceremonial impurity caused by her bleeding. So here's what we see. This woman, for 12 years, has had this sickness. Some say that it's a disease called endometriosis. For 12 years, she's been bleeding. For 12 years, she has had the label of unclean on her. For 12 years, if she were to sit on this stool, and then you were to touch this stool, you are now unclean. If you were to touch her, you are now unclean. She can't go into God's house and worship. Anything she sits on, anything she lies on, anything that she touches, anybody that she touches, that person is now unclean because of her uncleanliness. How do you think this woman felt about herself? How do you think her identity was? How do you think that she related to other people? See, she was cut off. She could not go into worship because she was ceremonially unclean. See, people had given her labels that had told her about who she was in her life. But then she hears about Jesus. She hears about what Jesus is doing. She hears about the healings. She hears about the miracles. And we pick it up in Luke, back in verse 44. It says this, Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could stay hidden no longer, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There's two things that I believe that this woman shows us about a rally. And it's two things that I believe that if you can prepare your hearts for this and you can think about this over these next few days, that Jesus will radically transform your life. That there will be things that you walked into these doors carrying. There will be things that you walked into these doors struggling with. And when you leave, you will leave different. Not because you are that great or you have it all figured out. But you will, you will leave different because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. That is why you will leave different. But there are moments where we have got to realize that we play a part in it. And I believe that you see two things that this woman did about a rally. The first thing is the woman had a whatever-it-takes attitude. This woman did not care about anything else but getting to Jesus. That was it. She didn't care about the crowds. She didn't care about Jairus and his daughter. This woman was sick and tired of suffering for 12 years, and she said, if I can just get to Jesus. Now, here's what's crazy. Some theologians believe that she did not even understand everything that was happening. It was really a mix of what was called mysticism and faith. That she didn't have a full understanding of who Jesus was. Thank God that you and I don't have to fully understand the way that God works in every situation for God to still move in our life. 
Thank God that you and I don't have to understand how Noah got all those animals on that boat for God to say, okay, I'm going to say yes to this prayer. Thank God that God looks at us in our shortcomings and our misunderstandings and says, I'm still going to move. So this woman, in the middle of this crowd, she had a whatever-it-takes attitude. I mean, can you imagine this scene? I mean, what would it have looked like if she had walked up, she sees this massive crowd of people and says, that's too much. I mean, two or three I maybe could have dealt with, but this is a crowd of people. She would have left the same way she had come. What if she had gotten there and she had seen Jairus throw himself at the feet of Jesus? Let me, let me just say this. Just because Jesus says yes to one prayer doesn't mean that he doesn't have the power to say yes to another. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what if the woman had seen that and said, well, that is so much more important than what I'm dealing with. You see, sometimes we want to compare ourselves amongst ourselves and we miss what God has for us because we're looking too much at someone else instead of Jesus. And so she, see, she sees this moment. This man comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And she's still in that crowd saying, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can grab his robe, if I can touch him, if I can just, and she doesn't have it all worked out. You know, I think a lot of our lives in here would be changed if we had a whatever-it-takes attitude. I think our lives would look drastically different if every day we woke up and said, God, today I'm going to live the life that you have called me to. God, don't let me end up in a place that is far away from you. I guarantee you that your life would be drastically different. What would it look like? What would it look like for you to have a whatever-it-takes attitude? How would your life be different? How would your life be different if every morning and every filter of your life would be, how do I get to Jesus today? How do I live my life in such a way that puts me more in his presence? How do I live my life in such a way that I hear his voice more? Because the Bible tells us that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep and we recognize his voice. One of the things that we have got to continually do is put ourselves in the pasture enough so that when the shepherd speaks, we hear his voice. What would it look like? What would it look like for you if over these saturated, because here, here's what the devil wants to try to do. Some of you tomorrow, you're planning on coming here, it's going to go crazy. There's going to be traffic. JTB is going to be backed up. You're going to get, your boss is going to call you and be like, I need you to stay late. There's going to be all this stuff. The kids are going to be crying. What would it look like if you said, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm going to get there. Jesus, I believe that you have something for me. Jesus, I believe that you are building something. You are stirring something up inside of me. What would it look like if your life revolved around this idea of like the woman with the issue of blood, whatever it takes, I'm going to get to Jesus. You see, a lot of people, we don't do that though, do we? And the reason I think a lot of us don't do that is because it's hard. It's difficult. Can, can I be honest with you about something? I, I have a... Um, I have an issue with the people who say Jesus wants everybody to be rich. I have an issue with the people that say following Jesus is super easy all the time. Because I don't know about you. Can I just be honest with you? I'm going to leave later, so if you don't like me, <laughs> I won't be back next year. Um, sometimes following Jesus is super hard. 
Like, I love that Joby said, four days till bacon, four days till bacon. Because when you are fasting, you remember how hard it is at times to follow Jesus. When you are denying yourself the things that you want to say yes to Jesus, it's hard at times. Now, I have a son that's about to be 13 years old, and the thing that I'm trying to teach him is just because it is easy doesn't mean it's right. And sometimes the hardest things to do are the things that are most valuable and the things that are most worth it. But we have people that are standing up, and so I believe that we have this generation of young Christians that are growing up that believe that when you raise your hand and say yes to Jesus Christ, that when you walk out the door, someone's going to hand you a pony and a balloon, and life is going to be great. But when I look at the Bible and I look at my Savior, I see people that said yes to Jesus and then life got harder. But even though life got harder, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have what he wanted for them. It doesn't mean that the harder life was exactly where they needed to be. Because I can promise you this, you can have an easy life outside the will of God and be miserable and have a hard life on the in, in the will of God and be content and happy and have joy. So what would it look like, church? What would it look saturated if you said, God, no matter what it takes these next four days, no matter what it takes in my entire life, I am going to get to you. I'm going to put myself in a place to receive from you. And here's the thing. It's never going to stop. There will always be moments where God is drawing us closer to him. Recently, You know, one of the things I tell young pastors all the time is the hardest thing as a pastor and a preacher to protect is your personal relationship with Jesus. Because when you spend three days or two days writing a sermon, you're not like, God, I just want to read my Bible. Like, you're like, I want to go watch SportsCenter right now. And so there was a time about two or three months ago where I felt like, I don't know if you guys have ever felt like this, the prayers I was praying was hitting a ceiling. You ever felt like that? Like you're praying and you're like, I just feel like a crazy person talking to myself right now. I don't feel like, God, you hear me. And you're like, Lord, just give me a sign, a wind blow, a bird landing on my shoulder. Hello, friend. Like whatever the case may be, like you're God, God, anything, just a light, just a tap me, Lord Jesus, like whatever. And so there are moments, I know this, right? We all go through it where you're praying and you're believing and you feel like God's not hearing you. And so I started praying, God, I feel like there is something that is causing me not to be able to focus on you or causing me not to be able to hear you or causing me to be like whatever. God said, I need you to put down some things. I need you to step away from some things for a season and focus on me. And the things that God told me, it's not like I was smoking crack. You know what I'm saying? Like (laughs) some of the things, it's meth. Don't worry about it. It's easier. Um, Bad joke. Um, And some of the things that God told me to put down, here's the deal. They weren't sin issues. But one of the things that we've always got to remember as followers of Jesus Christ is just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's profitable. There are some things in your life that God will tell you to put down for a season so that you can focus more on him. There are some things that some of you in this room, you just don't ever need to touch. You don't ever need to mess with. And the reason you don't ever need to touch or mess with it is because God has told you no. And what you don't know is that God is protecting you from yourself. And so God said to me, he's like, here's a couple things I need you to stop doing, Josh. I need you to get off all social media for a while. And that may not seem like a big deal, but let's be honest. Some of you right now are like, I'm not on Instagram. How many of us spend time scrolling through other people's lives 
looking at what they're doing, wishing that we were doing what they were doing. Sometimes what I've learned is that when we tend to focus on what other people are doing, we miss what God has for us in the moment that we're in. And so God said, I need you to put it down. So I got off of it. And then God also said, here's the other thing I need you to do. I need you to quit drinking beer for a little bit. Can I be honest? I like beer. It's not a sin. He just said, I need you to stop. Because I had put a girl in rehab. He says, how are you going ma- to minister to a girl that you just put in rehab when you were doing the very thing that destroyed her? Okay, God. Do you have a whatever-it-takes attitude? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to put you in the place to receive from Jesus? Because here's what I believe. I believe that if you do that, If every day of your life you wake up and say, God, don't let me go to a place that you desire for me not to be, that you cannot end up in the perfect will of God. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean that you'll always like it. But I would rather have something harder and be in the perfect will of God than do what Josh Turner wants to do. Because let me tell you where Josh Turner ends up when he does what he wants to do. Leon County Jail. That's what Josh Turner ends up. (laughs) For real. I'm not joking. I, I, I go around it. I don't even go through it anymore. Can I tell you my favorite part about the story, though? That's not even my favorite part, that this woman just had this, whatever it takes, I'm going to get to Jesus. My favorite part about this story is the first word out of Jesus' mouth. So this woman, right, she, she's, she's, she's in the crowd. And I, I, I personally like to think she's been unclean for 12 years, that as she is walking through the crowd bumping into people, she's like, boop, unclean, boop, unclean, boop, unclean. Like, she's just like, sucker. Like, you know, like, whatever. She's in this crowd making everybody unclean around her. And she touches Jesus. And Jesus stops. He says, who touched me? And Peter's like, "Uh, everybody, Jesus. Everybody. You know, I love Peter. I love Peter as a disciple because Peter did so much, uh, so many things that were just kind of dumb at times. Um, I feel like I have a good chance of being picked as a disciple. Like when I look at the stuff that, like, he's on the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus is glowing, Moses and Elijah comes down, Peter's first words are, it's a good thing that I'm here, Lord. Like things like that. I feel like he tries, listen, he cuts a dude's ear off, and let's all be honest. Peter was not a swashbuckler. He was trying to kill the guy and was sore, and is horrible with a sword. You know what I mean? He wasn't like, ha ear. Like, he, he tried to kill him. I just like to think that Jesus would have been like, come on, Josh. And I'd be like, yes, Jesus, all right. So in this moment, Peter's like, everybody. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. And the woman knows that she's been caught. Just imagine the scene with me. She realizes she has been caught. The Bible says that everyone hears her as she comes forward. She throws herself before Jesus. She begins to confess everything. Jesus, I've been unclean for 12 years. Jesus, I haven't been able to worship. Jesus, that guy and that guy and that, they're all dirty now, Jesus. They're all unclean, especially that guy. Like, that he, he, she's just confessing everything. Jesus, for 12 years, Jesus, I've not been able to go into the temple. Jesus, my own family. Jesus, if I sat on something, I mean, just imagine this. For 12 years, everything is coming out of her in the presence of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus looks at her and says, daughter. 
Think about this. He could have said anything. He could have said, you're clean now. He could have said, you're healed. The first word out of his mouth to someone who has been labeled by the world and by the law for 12 years is daughter. He takes ownership of her. He gives her a new title. He gives her a new identity. There are some of you in here, and what I believe about tonight is that Jesus wants to give you a new identity. Jesus wants to give you a new title. You have been hiding in the crowd. You have been super good at coming into church and acting like you know what to do, and you, we're all good. We can put on the church face. You have been hiding in the crowd. You've been one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and Jesus is like, if you would just get to me, I have a totally new identity for you. I have a totally new name for you because, see, some of us in here, we have allowed the world to label us for so long, we've forgotten who we are in the eyes of God. We have forgotten who we are in the eyes of the Savior, and we forget the fact that Jesus went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, he was thinking of you. He calls her daughter. First word, you're mine. Are you willing to put yourself in that place? Are you willing to put yourself in a whatever-it-takes place? And for some of you, it looks different. For some of you in here, it's making sure that you're here every night this week. For some of you in here, it's just waking up in the morning and spending a little bit more time with Jesus. For some of you, it's surrendering to Jesus. For some of you, it's getting out of that relationship that you know you shouldn't be in right now. Hello. <laughs> we had a girl a couple weeks ago at our church. She um, was on a Sunday morning, and uh, she came up to me, and she, we were talking, and she was like, Pastor Josh, thank you for your message. I was like, yeah, thank you, whatever. I was like, I was like man, you've been coming here for a long time. I was like, let us help you get involved. You need to start serving. She goes, no lie. This is what she says to me in the lobby of our church. She says, um, she goes, you know, I was going to start serving. She goes, but I started going down your honor code, and I got to the one that said sexual purity, and I said, nope, not ready to give that up, Jesus. And I was like, thank you for your honesty. Like, high five. I didn't know what to do. Break. I, I was like, and what was so funny is her little friend was standing there, and she goes, mm, she ain't ready to give it up. She ain't ready to give it up. And I was like, that's the problem. She is giving it up. She needs to stop giving it up and come to Jesus. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Um, so for some of you, <laughs> for some of you, you need to make some different choices that are going to put you in the place to hear from Jesus and receive from Jesus. Listen, guys, sometimes we're just going to have to do things that we don't want to do to help us get in the place where we can better hear from our Savior. We're going to have to make some hard choices. You're going to have to park sometimes a mile away and walk to church because you have a million people in this building right now. <laughs> sometimes we have got to give up our preferences so that we can better hear from our Savior. The second thing that I believe that you see from this woman, and I'm going to actually call the band back out, because here, here's what I want to do tonight. I don't want to come up here and just preach and laugh and leave. I want to give you a moment to respond. I want to give you a moment to say, whatever it takes, 
Jesus, I'm going to get to you, and it's starting tonight. Sometimes we just have to have mindsets where we make our mind say, Jesus, I'm going to be focused on you. Jesus, I'm surrendering now. Jesus, I'm doing this. So that we've just already made up our mind that we're going to do the things that are going to put us in the place to receive from Jesus, whatever it takes. The second thing that I believe you see in this is that there is a difference between bumping against Jesus and touching him in faith. You think about this story. Jesus lands on the shore. Everybody is bumping into him. Everybody is running into Jesus to the point where the woman touches him. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And Peter says, everybody touched you, Jesus. Everybody. Jesus, everybody is around you. And Jesus says, no, somebody deliberately touched me. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those people that deliberately touches Jesus. I want to be one of those people that deliberately lays hold of him. I want to be one of those people that says, Jesus, if other people are bumping up against you, Jesus, if other people are just kind of pressing around, Jesus, I want to be the one in the crowd that says, I'm going to get to you. If I have to be a fullback, I'm going to break through these people and get to you. Because Jesus, where else am I going to go? Jesus, what else is there but you? Listen to me. He went to the cross for you. Do you know the only thing that as we as a family in this past week are thinking to myself, thinking to ourselves that my wife has breast cancer, the only hope that I had was in Jesus. When my daughter spent three months in an intensive care unit and they tell us that she needs to have back surgeries every six months for the next ten years, your only hope is Jesus. When your wife or some of you looks at you and says, I want out of this, your only hope is Jesus. When you get the doctor's report that says cancer or says whatever, your hope is in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be one of those people that's just kind of bumping up against him. I've done that, guys. I did that. I got saved at 14 years old at a DC Talk concert in Atlanta. I'm a Jesus freak. I don't want to talk about it. In fact, I think the guy that's here from my childhood youth, he was with us. Then for the next 10 years, I lived like I never made that decision. I knew how to act at church. I knew the right things to say. I know how to put on the Christianese. You know what I mean? But if I was honest with myself looking back now at where I am, I was just bumping up against Jesus. I was one of the other people in the crowd. And then it all changed for me. On one Sunday morning, everything. My son, he had had a bunch of leg surgery when he was born. He had casts on his legs. Um, I don't know what it's like to have a healthy child. Uh, he had casts on his legs till he was one. And a friend that I worked with invited us to, to church. And it was, it was actually a celebration. And I grew up uh, in, a, in a Methodist church. Um, 
where you didn't know if the organ maker, organ player was going to make it through the entire song. You were just playing, Jesus, not now, don't take her now, Jesus. That's why we only did stanzas two and four, because anyway. Um, and so we, we walked into church. My son had just gotten his cast off his legs, and it's six flags over Jesus. It's the, the band is on stage, the keyboards, people are jumping around, and, I, and everybody's got their hands in the air. And I walk in and I think to myself, these people are all crazy. All of them. So we went and sat on the fourth or fifth row to the left side of the stage. My son was on my left. My wife was on my right. And worship is going. And I can tell you, I was standing there like this. I was watching the band and I was looking at all these people crying, hands up, and I'm thinking to myself, this is it. I'm, I'm done with this. These people are crazy. And I turn and I look at my son. And a one-year-old little boy who had just gotten cast off his legs had pushed himself up on his seat and had his hands raised. And I lost it. I'm not talking like that cool one tear down the cheek. I'm talking somebody call an ambulance. This dude needs help. Like that's where I was. And in that moment, let me tell you what I felt. And this is the only way I know to describe it for some of you. I felt like Jesus pulled me close. He said, son, I know where you've been. Son, I know what you've been doing but I'm just glad you're home. There wasn't condemnation. There wasn't beating me up. And in that moment, my entire life changed. And from that moment, I've always decided that I wanted to be the one in the crowd. I said, Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm going to get to you. Because I've lived in the crowd. I lived bumping up against him. There's some of you, you have lived bumping up against Jesus. But tonight, tonight you can be the one. You can be the one in the crowd. It says, whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm going to get to you. Jesus, whatever I have to do, whatever the cost, Jesus, the cost is worth it to get to you. Where else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? There's some of you in here, if, if, if Jesus could tell you what he has for you, you would never look away. For some of you young ladies in here and students, if you could see the way that Jesus sees you, you would never let another boy say anything to you that does not match with what your Savior says. For some of you men, you wouldn't get your identity from your career and how much money you make, but you would get your identity from what your Savior says about you. For some of you moms, 
your identities wouldn't be wrapped up in the way that you raise your children, but in who Jesus says that you are. I don't know about you, but I want to be the one in the crowd that says, I'm coming for you, Jesus. I've lived both ways, guys. I've done it both ways. Nothing compares to Jesus. There is no healing. There is no greatness. There is nothing else that even comes close to what He offers you. There is no amount of salvation. And I want you to know this. For those of you in here right now that are far away from God, and I know that there are some of you in here that are far away from God, the moment that you do this in turn, He is there. It is not a clean yourself up and then come to me. It is Jesus in that moment embracing you in your dirtiness, embracing you in your sin, embracing you from where you've been. And he's saying, I know where you've been. I know what you've been doing, but I'm just glad you're home. There's some of you in here. It's time to come home. It's time to run to your Savior. It's time to be embraced by your Savior. It's time to go from being the crowd to being the one that says, I'm going to lay hold of you. And I want to give you a chance to respond. I just believe, man, that, that, that when we, there are no marginal responses to the cross. There are no marginal responses. And I want to give you a chance to respond. And we're going to respond by coming forward. And the reason I tell you that is I don't want to trick you. I don't want to manipulate you. I want you to know what is getting ready to be asked of you. I'm going to do two altar calls. There's some of you in here, for the first time ever, you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You need to know that there is one way to the Father, and that is through the Son. You need to know that every person who has ever walked on this earth apart from Jesus Christ has fallen short of God's glorious standard. And because we have fallen short of God's glorious standard, you and I have, have, should have been separated from God for eternity, which we would know as hell. But Jesus paid the price so that you could be reconciled to him in heaven. And not only so that you can be reconciled to him to heaven, but John 10, 10 tells us that Jesus came to give you a life and a life more abundant. There's some of you in here, you are living in an imitation of the abundant life that Jesus has for you. What if there's more? The life that you have, what if Jesus is saying, there's so much more I have for you. And there's some of you, you need to recommit your life. You were like me, saved at a young age. And then for years, you, you just, you fell away. And in this moment, you know what Jesus is saying to you. You know that he is calling you back to him. Be the one in the crowd, or be the one that lays hold of him. We have got to allow our knowledge of God to move us to action. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. If you're in here this evening, and that's you, you know that you need to either commit or recommit your life to Christ. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then everyone else in this room is going to start cheering when you raise your hand. And then we're going to stand up, and I'm going to ask you to come forward. And we're going to worship, and we're going to pray, and we're going to believe that from this moment forward, not because you're that great, but because Jesus is that great, your life is going to be forever different because of what he did on the cross. If you're in here this evening, and you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to count to three. I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise them. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, 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 amen. I want to do one more. There's some of you in here It's time to move from the crowd to running at Jesus full speed. Whatever that looks like for you. You know there are some things that the Holy Spirit spoke to you tonight. You know there are some things that you need to respond in. You know there are some things that God's like, it's time for you to give this up. It's time for you to put this down. If that's you in here, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise them. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of hands. Church, can we stand up in this place together? Here's what I'm going to do. If you raise your hand, listen, if you raise your hand, I want you to come down to this altar. We're going to worship. Listen, if there is anything else going on in your life that you need to bring into the presence of God, I want to encourage you to come to this altar. I want you to, I want to encourage you to be the one that comes out of the crowd and lays a hold of Jesus. And let's believe that Jesus is going to do what only Jesus can do in our lives. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that it is all about him. God, we thank you that you saved your sons and daughters tonight. Church, repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask for you to forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I thank you that you love me. Jesus, I thank you that you care for me. Jesus, I worship you and I praise you. In your holy name, amen.